Um, and here's what we need to know. Second Corinthians is, is Paul writing to the Corinthians again, but this is a very personal um, letter to them. It's his most personal letter uh, to any of the churches. Uh, and so his intentions were never to, uh, to be a burden on the church in Corinth, and rather his desire was to be a blessing to them. And, and I, that is why he ended in chapter 1. I don't know if you guys remember. He said, I don't want dominion over you. He said, I, you know, he came in. He said, Paul, an apostle, he, he could have dominion over them. He said, I don't want dominion over the, you. I, I want to I seek to be your helper of joy. I want to show you that you can have joy and joy everlasting. And so we'll look at this. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit <laughs> to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pain? So what he's saying here is when I go to Corinth, um, I don't want to come with a heavy heart. Um, and this is important to us because, uh, you know, sometimes in our lives, we got to give ourselves a little spiritual uh, pep talk, right? Come on, am I the only one that says, come on, Skiles, you got this. Get together, right? Am I the only person that talks to your you don't say Skiles, but maybe Tristan does. But you talk to yourself and say, come on, you can do this. You've got this. Um, but what he's saying is I, I don't want to come in with a, with a bad attitude. And uh, how many of you remember in, in Psalm 103 when uh, the psalmist, he wrote, bless the Lord, what? Oh, my soul, and all that is what? And it says, bless his what? So what he starts there, the psalmist, he understood what it means to give yourself a little pep talk. He said, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. He's talking to himself. Hey, I, hey self, you, you got to bless the Lord. He, he, is, he, is, uh, he is great and greatly to be praised, right, and blessed is his holy name. In other words, this is what he's saying. Uh, soul, get yourself in gear. Wake up, you know. Start praising um, how many remember it in the first Samuel? I love this story. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. I mean, I, I say that about every story, but I'll, that's okay. One of my favorite stories, David and his mighty men, they, they left uh, Ziklag. And when they left that city, they, they left their families there. When they came back, they learned that the Philistines had come in and had demolished the city, had taken their kids and their uh, wives captives. And David was uh, running from Saul, and he had the misfits of the misfits. You know that's bad when you got the misfits of the misfits. And, uh, and when he got back, David's men looked at him, and they were mad at him. And they said, David, this is your fault. And how many know when the misfits are mad at you, you're in, a, you're in really bad shape, right? And David's men uh, were so mad at him that they, they literally wanted to kill him. And uh, you know what David could have done? He could have went to a deep depression. Uh, but instead, we read this in that in that chapter. It says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Um, you know, sometimes we are always looking for encouragement for someone else. But sometimes you just need to tell yourself, "Self, God's got this. Be encouraged." Amen. And so uh, I, I love that. But I I have to do this in my life from time to time, and sometimes. You know, we, we depend on pastor to say it or a friend to pull us out of a pit. But sometimes you just got to pick yourself up by, your, by the back of your boots and say, hey, I am going to be okay today. Amen. Uh, talk to your soul. Uh, let me just tell you this. How do you talk to your soul? Speak scripture out over your life. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. You know what? Wake up, soul. Everything. Hey, God is good. Uh, amen. And, and as, they, as these things go, Scripture that we confess uh, uh, from our mouth, it goes from our mouth, it goes to our ears, and then it lands on our hearts. Come on. And then we can walk in victory and say, all right, praise the Lord. Amen. Everyone say, praise the Lord. <laughs> this one's for me. I wrote this down. Encourage yourself in traffic. Right? Encourage yourself when you're down. David did it, and what happened? The Bible says that his countenance changed, and he rallied his troops and, the, and his men once again, and they, they went after the marauders that had, had taken their wives and children, and they went, and they recovered it all. How many know that if you want to have a Holy Ghost boldness, come on, you got you to gotta sometimes just say, Lord, I need your help right now, and Lord, help me to get where I need to be mentally, spiritually, amen, amen. So Paul tells, tells them, hey, I'm determined to come in, in the right spirit. He says, I don't want to come with a, with a bad heart. You know, I, I, I think I talked about this last week, or heaviness or sternness. Sometimes as a, as a parent, uh, it, when you're mad at your kids, sometimes the best thing you can do is walk away, take a walk, think about it, and then come back in the right mindset. So Paul's saying, hey, it's probably a good thing I didn't come when I was mad at you, but I, I came uh, because uh, now I, I want to come because I want to come in the right spirit. How many know that we ought to uh, correct, we ought to love people in the right spirit? Amen. So he says this in verse 3, and I, and I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt for sure, all of you, that my joy should be the joy uh, uh, of you all. So Paul's saying, I didn't write 1 Corinthians to burden you. I didn't write. And 1 Corinthians is a correct, uh, it's a book full of just correction, right? If there's any book in the Bible you want to read that where, the, where you're just getting correction after correction, it's 1 Corinthians, all right? He's saying, I, I didn't want to burden you, but I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to work on yourselves, to, to, to come to the level that God wants you to be at. So when I come, we can celebrate and say, whoo, look where God brought you from. Amen. I'll, I'll never forget, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my parents would leave me and my siblings at home. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I appreciated sometimes they would do when, you know, they were gone for a day or two, they would call before they came home, before, you know, cell phones, and they would say, hey, we're on our way home. You know what that told us? We've got so much time to get the house back in order. Because you know it was out of order, right? I can promise you that. And you know what we did till mom and dad got home and they walked back in the door and they said, boy, the house just looks so clean. Yeah, it's been this way the whole time. Right? I'll never forget my dad one time. Um, my mom had one of those little decorative clocks that somebody gave her. And it had a glass dome on top and it had a little piece in the middle that, that turns. How many know what I'm talking about? And, and it, it had this really, uh, I don't know, this glass dome on top. And my dad and my brother and me, we were messing around throwing a football around one time in the house doing things that, uh, you know, boys do. And uh, somebody threw the football and hit that dome of that clock, and it fell over and broke that dome, right? And, you know, and I'm going, ooh, 
mom going to get whoever did that, you know, and I'm thinking that in my mind. I think my dad might have, have thrown it, and I'll never forget. He went, and he's like, I got this figured out. I, she'll never know, and he went to the kitchen, and he got a, a three-liter bottle of Coke. He poured out the contents. He cut it in the bottom of it, and he put it on top of the clock, and it took my mom a good week or two to realize that that clock had been broken, all right? I don't know why I told that story, but that was there, so. So now you know why I, where I get what I get with, from my dad. So uh, Paul's intent in writing the, the Corinthians was this, is, is to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm on my way home. I'm getting ready to come see you, um, just to kind of give them a little bit of warning. So f- verse 4 says this, for I wrote uh, to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with my tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So Paul's saying, I'm, I'm not coming to point fingers. I didn't want to point fingers at you. I don't, but I have tears while I'm writing these things because I, I care so much for you. Uh, and he's trying to be mature in the Lord and, and not err in, in the way that the Corinthians did. You know, the Corinthians were bitter. They were bitter about some of the things that Paul was calling them out on or bringing to, to the serpent. You know, nobody likes to be corrected, right? Especially us adults, the older we get, we don't like being quick. We don't like it when our boss says, hey, you need to change this behavior. Well, why are you talking to me like that? I've been working here longer than, you know, right? We get offended really fast. But, but uh, uh, I like this. It, it, you know, we must not only read uh, what the Lord is saying, but we have to listen to the tone in which things are written in the Bible, right? And um, so we need to hear him. You know, the Bible says this, that the Lord chastens whom he what? Mm. You know what narcissists do? They only care about themselves. They only care. They they really care more about what people think than they, because they care about themselves. But you know what love does? Love says, you know what? This may make you mad, but this is what you need to hear. And I don't know any good parent in the house. I say that good parent because a good parent's going to look at their kid and say. You are acting a fool right now. You need to correct this behavior. You need to adjust this thing, get an attitude adjustment in your life. And I'm telling you things because I, what, love you. My parents, you know, they would, uh, when they corrected me, they would always tell me after a spanking. I never understood it, but they would say, I did that because I love you. Sure, yeah, whatever, right? But. If God chastens those that he loves, come on, how many know that God sometimes can use people in our lives to, to say things, to rub up against us, to say, hey, this is a rough edge that needs to be moved off of you, right? So here's, if you need a subheading here, this next portion is forgive, forgive the sinner. So I like this. Verse 5 says this. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it to severely to all of you. Verse 6. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, all right? Verse 7, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Now, he's talking specifically about someone that he wrote about in 1 Corinthians, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, verse 8. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, verse 9. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and we talked about this. There was a man in the Corinthian church 
who was living immorally with his mother-in-law. He was, he was uh, blatantly sinning, okay? This was not, oh, man, I, 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 I failed today. No, this was blatant sin. A and, and the Corinthians, uh, were, they had listened to Paul, and Paul told them, he said, you know, uh, you are to, to deal with him severely. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, you are to turn him over to Satan. And, and that's, that is very strong words, right? When someone is blatantly doing something, there are times where we have to say, Lord, you're going to have to do the work at this point because anything that we're saying is just going to cause conflict. And, and so the Corinthians, they listened to Paul, and they banned him, you know, from the congregation. They moved him out because they said, you know, you are blatantly sinning. And so here's the problem. Here's the problem with that whole scenario. It's not that they, that they did. They did what Paul said. But they, once he repented, uh, everyone say repented. Once he repented of his sins, guess what? The church said, nope, you can't come back in. And there was the error in their, in their midst. And Paul is saying this. He's saying, you guys, I told you this, but you went too far. I told you to deal with the issue, uh, but, the, but the prescription I gave you, the action was overdone. Come on, how many have ever been there? You know, here's the prescription. It's just too much. Um, but I, I'll say this. We, we got to be those who do not flaunt or tolerate immorality. Sin is sin, right? We are to deal with sin with, with truth and love, all right? You, if you just deal with it in truth, you'll come off harsh. If you deal with it just in love, <laughs> you'll, it'll be greasy grace, all right? And so there's a balance to, to that. And so at the same time, you know, we, we cannot flaunt or tolerate immorality. At the same time, we must be those who love and embrace anyone who says, hey, I, 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 need to, I need to work on me. I need to fix. I, the Lord's dealing with me. And we've got to be a people and a church that says, hey, you know what? Uh, you may not be cleaned up. You may not be perfect, but I love you. We're going to lock arms with you. We're going to help you. We're going to disciple you. And we're going to just ask God to do the great things in you. Amen? Verse 10, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, uh, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. I love that. He's saying, you know what, I'd rather forgive everybody rather than to hold resentment in my heart or bitterness in my heart because I, I was unable to forgive someone. For we are not ignorant of his designs, right? Sounds like something he wrote in Ephesians. Here we see Paul's exhortation to be knowledgeable concerning Satan's devices. One of the things that the devil loves to do is called the division among people. He likes to cause resentment amongst relationships. Well, this person did me wrong. Well, I can't forgive them for this. How many know that God wants you to forgive? Amen. And if you don't forgive and you hold on to something and you just keep holding on, holding on, resentment builds and bitterness builds. And then you got a root of bitterness. And time has passed, and you can't let it go, and that person's moved on, and you're still mad at that person, and they're just living their life, right? One of Satan's devices, one of which is not only to get someone to sin, but, but you know, uh, one of Satan's devices is to, is to make a person feel terrible about their sin, to feel sorrow, right? And Satan causes divisive or division among believers concerning the issue of sin. So Paul tells the church, Corinth, and to us today, 
and to not let the devil ostracize the one who needs to come back in your midst. And he says, hey, don't let them divide you in the process. So I like this portion of this, this chapter. This is going to go pretty fast tonight. So everyone say amen. Triumphant Christ is a subheading if you want to write this down. I, I love this. There's, Paul uses a little bit of imagery here, and I, I'll, I'll break this down. He, he, he brings in a little bit of uh, Roman imagery that they would have understood at the time. So when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, verse 13, my spirit was not at what? He was, his spirit was something, discerner was like, something is not right. Because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. So um, what is happening here, and, and he says this, I had a great door, the King James Version says, I had a great door of ministry opportunity in Troas that God had opened up for me. But in the midst of waiting for Titus, who Titus had went to the Corinthian church and he was coming back to give Paul a report. And when Titus didn't get back to him, something that the Holy Spirit stopped Paul and said, you know what? I could go to Troas, but I need to just wait on the Lord. How many know it's important to not get ahead of God and to wait on God's timing? Man, this is a great, great story. So, so Titus failed to meet him there to give him news of the Corinthian church and what they were doing. And so what did Paul do? He left Troas to find Titus. You know what that tells me? That Paul, you know, oftentimes, man, we look at Paul and we say, man, he was a go-getter. He, he was all about, uh, you know, doing the big things for God. But what that tells me right there is Paul loved people. And he loved those young ministers that he worked with. We see a side of Paul that we don't see in other places that he was like, man, I, I know this is a huge door of ministry for me right now, but I'm concerned about Titus. I, I need to go find out what is going on with him, amen. So Titus, who was, who was to give him a report on the Corinthian church, and, and, and we'll see later when Paul finally meets Titus in chapter 7, that Titus gives him a report of the church. And, and, and you, you can go, you can look at that, you know, if you, if you want to go to chapter 7. But what, when Titus comes and gives Paul the report, you know what Paul does? He breaks out in hymns and he starts singing and he starts praising God because of the report that he got about the Corinthians. He loved them. He loved them so much. Verse 14, but thanks be to God. Everyone say that. But thanks be to God. I love that. So how was Paul able to thank God and praise God in the good times and even the hard times? You ever think, man, I could never be Paul. I could, you know, he praised God in the bad times. He praised God in the good times. Uh, you know, how was he able to do that? It, it's, it's been said that, I, I like this, trials don't make or break a man. They simply reveal what's going on inside of him. It pulls out the contents of, of their heart. Let me give you a good example right here. When someone cuts you off on the road... Come on, somebody. Talking to you, Pastor, I know. The result is not because of the actions of that person, but it's an indication of what's going on inside of you. You ever stop and think about that? Ooh, where'd that ugly thing come from? Where'd that mean spirit come from? Some of you say, I got to stop hanging out with my wife because she's making me know. It just reveals what's going on inside of us. When we go through trials in our lives, we don't like 
what's happening and things that are, it's just pulling out things inside of us that don't need to be there, right? Um, uh, in Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas, right? I love this story. It's my favorite Bible story. I'm just joking. I say that to every story. You get, catch it on? Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas, and they're in prison. And what do they do? Well, we're stuck in prison. They just start singing and praising God in the middle of prison. That's, that's, that's good. That's admirable, right? And they weren't praising God because they knew that he would shake the prisons open. I, I, I think they were just praising God because it's what they did. It was coming out of their heart. They, they didn't let the circumstance bring bitterness out in them. They could have just sit there and moped. Oh, I'm in jail. This is terrible. Why am I always in jail for the cause of Christ? No, it was just like, God, I'll praise you in the middle of this. They begin to sing, and they begin to, to you know, I'm sure the other prisoners were like, shut up. I don't know, but, they, you know, they just praised, and they praised. But instead, we see the content of their heart begin to flow forth. And it was an overflow of praise that was already in their heart. Let me ask you this. What's flowing out of your heart? It's a good question, right? When you don't get your way, what's flowing out of your heart? Woo-hoo. Come on, Pastor. When you uh, uh, when you are frustrated, when it's not in your hands, what's what's coming out of your heart? Is it praise to God, or is it complaining? Do you go straight to complaining, or do you go straight to praising God? Is it is it the need to justify your actions in words? Come on, right? Or is it a God? I just need to keep my mouth shut right now. Amen? And here's my thing. My prayer is this, that that praise and worship to God will flow from me in the midst of whatever's happening in my life. Right? I love that. So who who in Christ always leads us in triumphal processional? And this is is the imagery I want to show you here. Here Paul uses the Greek word triumphal uh, in regards to a Roman triumphal march. Anybody ever heard of that, ever researched that, ever seen that? So when a Roman general went off to war and he came back and he had killed 5,000 or more soldiers to secure a territory for the Roman Empire, upon his return to Rome, what what would happen is they would meet him with a chariot, the general. They would put him in a chariot, and then they would, followed by um, those that, that they had captive behind them, and then behind them were Roman, his Roman soldiers who marched behind him. And when they came into the city, Man, they celebrated like it was the Super Bowl party. They were like, yeah, we conquered this. And the, the whole city of Rome was, was chanting, and they were excited. They saw the general. And, 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 and interesting enough, as I was studying this out, uh, the, the Roman, they had a policy that they did for the Roman general. Even though he was getting accolades from the people there, they put someone behind him who would say this. He said, uh, they would say, glory is fleeting. And then what that person would tell that general is, look behind you. And he would see those people captive. And he would say, what's about to happen to those people? They're about to die. But you one day will die too to keep them in the correct perspective. I thought that was very interesting. But, but alongside all of that ticker parade, there were priests swinging incense pots to create a smell of victory as the entire uh, possession made its way. I pray it was barbecue. How many know that is a that is the march of victory? Barbecue, isn't it? Amen. 
Am I the only one that believes that? All right. Anyways, uh, uh, but, but what they would do is they would march through, through the Roman city, and they would go there to the Colosseum, or, uh, and they would take the people that they had captive, and they would put them out, and they would uh, let them battle against wild enemies. I know it's so decrepit and so messed up, but I, I, Paul gives some imagery there, but something that the Corinthians would understand, and so that's why I want to explain that to you. Can I tell you this? So, too, are we, as the people of God, are going to walk in a triumphant uh, uh, entryway one day, all right? There will be a victory march. How many know that King Jesus, everyone say King Jesus, our leader, come on. If he's your leader, come on, wave your hand at me. King Jesus, right? All right. Uh, You know what he did? He left heaven. He left the comforts of heaven. He left his empire, and he went down here, and he dwelt on this planet, and he conquered uh, the enemy on a hill called Calvary. How many many are thankful for Calvary? Amen. And instead of 5,000 people dying, come on, in Acts chapter 4, we learned that 5,000 people were brought into the church, amen. And how many know that God is still bringing people into his kingdom and into his church right now? And the enemy forces that day and demons are, are, are headed to, uh, you know, their fate, not to a coliseum, but to a lake of fire is what Revelations 20.10 tells us, all right. And this is what I say when I think of that imagery. I say, right on, King Jesus. Come on, right? And though through us, he says this, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Verse 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So behind King Jesus, how many know that that the... Uh, as the as the the kingdom of priests, as Exodus nineteen six tells us, the gospel we share. Come on, how many know the gospel inside of us that we share? The praise that we offer becomes an incense of victory as we follow our King Jesus. Amen. People are watching us. All right. Does your life show the incense of Christ inside of you? Verse sixteen says this. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. What in the world does that mean? To the enemies, to people that don't know Jesus, to the enemies of the cross, our praises and testimonies, they stink. People are like, I don't want to hear that. Anybody ever say, I don't want to hear what you have to say about your God, right? Anybody ever went door to door uh, uh, witnessing before? I've had the privilege of having many doors slammed in my face. Who are you? I'm from such and such church. That's cool. I'm not interested. Pop. God loves you. Right? It stinks to them. They don't, they don't want no part. But here's the thing. But those that are headed to heaven and those who will eventually be part of the new heaven and the new earth, come on, that aroma is beautiful because, man, when you get around Christ-like people, man, that aroma just shows up. You're like, man, are you a believer? And you're a believer? Man, this is good. I'll never forget growing up, my parents pastored a church. We were living in, in Jackson, Mississippi. We had a, uh, an elderly lady in our church, and she invited us, our family over. I was a little, little guy, but she invited us over a lot, I remember. And uh, they, we would go over to her house, and we'd have roast. Come on, somebody. Roast and potatoes, carrots. Boy, I'm hungry. She would make homemade rolls. And I'll never forget, as a young man coming into her house and the aroma that was in her house. Come on, some of you think about your grandma's house right now going, oh, I remember that aroma. It was like a little bit of old lady and some food, right? 
I'll never forget that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, that was a good aroma to me. Now, now fast forward. When I got my first apartment and I was living in California, I had a neighbor. God bless their souls. I love them. Uh, they were super nice. But they cooked curry every night. Woo! And they were right next door. I just found myself just wanting to leave at dinner time. And it was curry. If you love curry, God bless you. Amen. Whatever. Uh, but but it, that was not a pleasant smell to me when I'd come home from work. I thought, this is terrible. I'd have to walk by that every day. I wanted Sister Meyer's roast and potatoes, not my neighbor's curry. I'm sorry. But, but, but the same thing goes with us and the gospel. Some people see the gospel and they hear the gospel and they smell that incense and they say, man, that's, that's beautiful to me. And some people smell the incense of, of the gospel and go, I don't like that. That challenges me. And, and so when people reject, uh, you know, when, you, when you're telling someone about Jesus, can I tell you this? When people reject, when you're saying, hey, can I just tell you about the Lord that I save? And they say, no way, Jose, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. And Jesus told us that. And so it, it's, a, it's a revelation that they have not yet uh, uh, made it to be part of the kingdom. So he says this, who is sufficient for these things? So who is sufficient to march behind Jesus, to carry the fragrance of him and be used by him? Well, he answers that in the next chapter in, in, in verse 5. But he talks about our sufficiency is simply this. It's the Lord. That's it. Verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as many of sincerity. So Paul is saying, if you're going to teach the word, or you're going to lead a ministry, or you're going to minister in music, or you're going to preach, or you're going to be someone who deals with the word, this is what he's saying. We cannot be corrupt in the word. We can't corrupt the word of God. We can't twist it to our own agenda. We can't uh, put axes to the grind to make it fit for us. Can I just challenge you today? The word of God should change us, not us changing the word of God. Come on, pastor, that's good. Right? So we can't teach with our own agenda, but only that which what the word of God declares. This is truth. And whatever comes from my heart, the Bible says, is deceitful, actually. Like my own agenda, my own plan, you know. So, so I, I say this, and, and the word of God is powerful. How many believe that? It's powerful, and it's what? Active. It's anointed. And sometimes, man, I said this just a minute ago, all we have to really do to get victory in our life is just confess what this thing already says over us. Amen. So it says this, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So uh, we who uh, teach the word of God have to realize that when we speak, we're not speaking um, necessarily theoretically, but, but, but we have to understand this, that not only am I speaking to you, but guess what? The almighty God is present. Do you know that? He's here. Well, that makes me scared, right? That makes you think, boy, I, I, Lord... Help me, to, help me to follow this thing just like you want me to, right? So if we approach our devotions and our family Bible studies and, and those who teach in kids' classes lessons and Sunday sermons as though God is present, guess what? Our sharing and our teaching and our preaching 
they'd become acts of worship. Lord, I'm, I'm doing this because I love you, Lord, and Lord, help me to say what you want me to say and not what I think I need to say. Amen. And as a pastor and a preacher, some of my most intense moments of worship are when I'm delivering the word of God. It's it's true. Um, you know, uh, I've just, I'm, I'm, you don't realize it, but while I'm delivering the word of God, I'm also worshiping the Lord. And so, uh, not only am I teaching, but I'm also talking to him. It's amazing t- that, uh, to say this, that we get to, to march behind Jesus, amen? It's awesome to say that, uh, that, that the Lord captured the enemy and that Jesus took authority over sin, death, hell, and the grave once and for all. And he's just marching on, and we just get to march behind him, come on, and be like, yeah, our God reigns, right? It's comforting. Everyone say, Jesus is our victory. All right, verse, uh, chapter 4, all right, or chapter 3, I'm sorry. Is that right? Yeah, chapter 3. I don't know what I was looking at. Ministries of the New Covenant. I, I should be able to get through this relatively fast. He says this, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some of you, do letters of recommendations to you or from you. Verse 2, you yourselves are the, are the letter of recommendations written on our hearts to be known and to be read by all. Verse 3, and when you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on the tablets of what? Human hearts. I love how God just uses us, our, our, our earthen vessels. I, I, I love this. So Paul, he says this, hey, do I, do I need validation? Do I, do I need to get a letter of recommendation for ministry? Do I, do I need to show you my credentials? Do I need to show you what denomination I'm with on, that's hanging on my wall? Do, do I need to do this or do, and he's saying, no, I don't, because here's what he's saying. He's saying, guess what? You Corinthians, you're my letter of recommendation because God's working on you. And you are the ministry, and and you have been born again, now walking with the Lord. Guess what? I'm watching you. Some of you started as babies, and now you've gotten to this place. You are proof that God is working through me and using me is what Paul's saying. In other words, he's, he's saying the proof is in the pudding. I don't know where that saying comes from, but I like pudding. I don't know. I'm hungry tonight. He's saying this. Look around in Corinth. And he's saying this, test the, test the fruit of what we've preached. Now, here's a good thing. Can I tell you something? This is for everybody in the house, young Christians, old Christians. Fruit is the name of the game. Fruit is the name of the game. The Bible says they will know you by their fruit, right? They'll know you by how you love one another. All those, all those great things, but by fruit, all right? Fruit is the name of the game. How many remember in Numbers uh, chapter 17 where 250 people revolted against Moses? How many remember that story of his leadership? They didn't like him and, and Korah, I think it was Korah and that group. And they came and uh, God caused the earth to open up and swallowed them up. Come on, somebody, right? Because they were, they were trying to challenge who God had ordained to be there. And the people of Israel, guess what? After all that happened, they were still questioning Moses' authority. And you know what Moses did? He told each tribe, he said, I want every tribe to bring a rod to the tabernacle, 12 of them. And he put his rod in the midst of all the other 12 in the tabernacle. And the next day, although the rest of the, the rods remained as they were, 
the rod of Moses had blossomed fruit to validate that God still had a calling on Moses' life. They'll know you by your fruit. Oh, come on, come on, say fruit. So fast forward here to Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, where Jesus is referring to uh, this, he, he, this account concerning true and false teachers. He said, you'll know them by their fruit. Still today, still works. All right, verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from who? This is going back to what I talked about in the last chapter. He said that you, I told you he was going to talk about that. He's saying this. We aren't boasting in what we've done. Um, he's saying our efficiency, I'm going to tell you, nothing I do, it just comes from God's grace. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, one of my favorite Bible verses. Uh, it's all of them, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not what? Your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Amen. How many are thankful for God's grace? Amen. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise. Verse 6 says this, who has made sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not uh, the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So um, there were those in the Corinthian church who were going around slandering Paul. He wasn't there, but they were slandering his teaching. They were calling him a lightweight. They were saying, Paul, you're a lightweight because he spoke on grace. And they said, the real issue here is the law. Some of them were saying that if you... If you want to prove yourself, come on, to true spirituality, you'll follow the Jewish law and the traditions of circumcision. It's what some of that had crept into the church. And those who are under the law are miserable. I'm, I'm going to tell you that because guess what? None of us can meet the standard of the Ten Commandments. Close your eyes. Every eye closed. Come on. If, if you... I, I, that, that way no one knows what's going on. If you have broken one of the Ten Commandments, will you just raise your hand? No one looking around. All right. You close, put your hands down, open your eyes. If you didn't raise your hand, you just lied. We can't not meet the standard of the law. And so uh, those who are under the law are miserable because of this. They they think it's legalism. you got to be this way. you got to do this. you got to do that. You, got, you can't. And those, uh, so what happens is they seek to make everyone else miserable because they're miserable. Come on, pastor. Right? And misery knows company, right? That's uh, loves, loves company is the old saying, and there's more to it, but, you know, most people stop right there. Some people still believe today that, that more, the more miserable you are, the more spiritual you are. What kind of... Do we want to serve a God of misery? I don't. I want to serve a God that triumphs, right? And this is what they say. Here's a list of do's and don'ts to show you truly love God. When God's spirit can reveal those things in your walk, come on, and in his word, it's called sanctification. Once we're washed by the blood of the lamb, we begin to walk this thing out. The Holy Spirit reveals to you, and you're like, you know, should I do this? You know what? I love God too much. And I don't think that he would be on board with this. And it just doesn't feel like God's heart. So I'm just not going to do that. All right. That's called conviction. It's called sanctification process. That God is working through us. And he, he draws us closer to him. Amen. Verse 7 says this. 
Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters and stone, came with, with such a glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, verse 8, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Everyone say, Amen. Verse 10, indeed is the case, what once had the glory has come to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. Verse 11, for if it was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will uh, what is permanent have glory. You say, Pastor, that was a mouthful. I know, I just read it. How many remember in Exodus chapter 34 when God gave Moses the law? Gave him the Ten Commandments, okay? And it was a glorious moment. It made Moses' face shine right after God had seen the backside of God. He received those things, and he came back, and his face was glowing. And so Paul says this, that if the law brings condemnation, and it shows us that we are indeed sinners, and, and that Death is glorious. How much more glorious is the new covenant that the New Testament, that God's grace, that the Spirit of God can reveal to us? All right, I'll put it to you like this. In Galatians, Paul says this, that the law was like our schoolmaster, our school teacher. How many had a school teacher that you did not like? At least you're being honest. And I, I had a teacher... I promise you, I felt like no matter what I did, she just did not like me whatsoever. I'm sure I wasn't perfect, I, uh, but I didn't feel like she liked me. But 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 it was kind of that's what the law does. It shows us, hey, you you are flawed. You you can't do this, no matter how hard you strive. But can I tell you something? When we we get into the grace of God and what Jesus Christ did for us, come on, there is no striving when we come in through the door of Jesus Christ. All right, 2 Corinthians says this, I love this, verse 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, everyone say that's Jesus, so that in him we might become the what, the righteousness of God, all right, so what happens here is the law shows I'm flawed and I need a savior, Jesus comes on the picture and he dies on a cross. He's the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He raises from the dead, and, and he makes a way for us to be in right standing. He is our righteousness, and that's why Jesus can say this. You must come in through him. And that's why he says, you know, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so it is only through Jesus and in Jesus Christ that we can have victory. Amen. It's through his righteousness in us. All right, everyone look at your neighbor and say, that is good news. Amen. Jesus made a way for us today. The law said, you have flaws. But the gr grace of Jesus looks beyond our flaws and says, hey, I made a way. And, and even though we may have a sinful nature and God begins to work on us and he helps us overcome sin, how many know that the grace of God is not a ticket and, and, and a, a way to sin? It is freedom from sin. Amen. Verse 12 says this, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Everyone say bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. 
This is interesting. Here, Paul points out something that we wouldn't otherwise know in Exodus 34. We hear the story. That account's not there, but Paul brings something out here. What had happened was, everyone say, what had happened was, we see Moses coming down, and he had this veil, and he put it over his his face. And most of us assume that he put this veil over his face so that uh, it, his face was so bright that people couldn't look at his face. But but Paul brings it to a little bit more light here. He says, he says no, he put it over his face because he didn't want people to see that it was starting to dim, that it was going down. And so, too, this is what happens to us. We can keep our rules and our regulations from day to day. Yeah, we can shine for a while, but guess what? The glory fades quickly because we're human, right? We're human. We're going to, man, when we get cut off, what's inside of us is going to come out, right? And, and, you know, people make us mad and to sometimes to the point to where we sin and we make mistakes. But, but God, everyone say but. All right, verse 14 says this, but their minds were hardened. For to, the day, uh, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ. Uh, man, you ought to underline that. Only through Christ is it taken away, the veil. Talking about people who can see the Lord and who cannot see the Lord. Verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. All right, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Man, that's powerful. Amen. The veil over the faces of those who live by the old covenant. It blinds their eyes to see the reality and the identity of the Messiah. Jewish people, still to this day, they'll say, man, Jesus was a good guy, but he is not our Messiah. You could talk to them till you're blue in the face and tell them, listen, Jesus fulfilled some 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. It is astronomical that he would even be able to fulfill just a few of those, but 300 of those. And they will not believe it because the veil is over their eyes. Until, and to the unbeliever, to those who don't know Christ, the, until the veil is done away with, and it's only through Christ, amen, it's only to, uh, through Christ. And when they turn to Christ, and we turn to Christ, listen, we can see him clearly, amen, amen. I love this. Verse 18 says this, and we all... And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know, God's transforming you. If you know Jesus Christ in your heart, you know what? The veil has been moved. You, you can see him clearly. Romans 3 Verse 11 says this, that's a simple verse. It says, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And, and the only way that we're able to see Christ is through his grace. Amen? Because he has lifted the veil from our eyes. How many kids say this? Uh, you know, we, it's only because he's lifted the veil from our eyes that we could even see him face to face. You know, there's a song that goes, I once was blind, but now I Whoa, 
I think this is what that, that's talking about right there. God help me to be able to see things spiritually. Come on, how many know that your perspective as a Christian now from where you were before Christian, you didn't understand, you didn't have all those things, but you get on this side and you begin to see Christ, you're like, I get it, I understand, amen, and, and, and we could see him face to face, and when we see him face to face, come on, he begins to change us, we begin to draw near to him, and the things of this world start to melt away, we say, that's not important, that's not important, only knowing you, Jesus, is important. Can I just say this, programs, they're okay, they're great, they won't change you. You know what will change you? Only seeing Jesus face to face. That's it. It's not a program. It's not a practice. It's not a procedure. It's not religious. Those words right there. It's not program, practice, or procedure. Can I tell you something? What it is? You're changed by a person. Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. We're changed by looking to Jesus. And this is how we do that. By spending time with him. We do that in prayer. We do that in devotion. We can do that on the way to work. Uh, learning about him and worshiping him. We do that by coming together on Wednesday night and learning about the Lord and coming together at events and, and being around people that are sharpening us. We stay in the scripture. We spend time with the Lord in his word and prayer and in worship. And this is what happens. When we do all those things, guess what? We will look at him. And the Bible says this, you know, eventually uh, when we get on the other side, we'll look at him and we'll understand all things. We'll become like him. But in this process on this earth, God is working on every one of us. How many are grateful for that? Amen. I'm so challenged by this in my heart. Uh, uh, will you just do this tonight? Will you just uh, right where you are?